Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, July 5th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the capital city welcomes a new mayor. Here are his plans to improve Jackson. Concern over the condition of Mississippi's rural roads. How soon could they improve? A warning for seniors and parents. Find out the latest scam to pocket your dollars. And to look ahead to the state's new museums. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The capital city is under new leadership. Jackson Mayor Shokwe Antar Lumumba took the oath of office Monday, just four years after his late father was sworn in to the same post. The 34-year-old attorney succeeds Tony Yarber, who served for three years. Lumumba dedicated part of his inaugural address to talking about the challenges the city faces, including crumbling infrastructure and crime. He says the victory is about unity. We are of our unity. Today we applaud our commitment towards changing not only the complexion of our city, but the character of our world. Right now the eyes of the world are on our cherished home. And we are presented with the opportunity to claim a new story. A new Before to face these issues head on, we must understand that it is not 
says the solution is in working together. Coming up, a new study says the state's rural roads are in bad shape, leaving some experts concerned for the safety of drivers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The condition of rural roads across the state is drawing attention to the safety risks for Mississippians. A report released by TRIP, a national transportation research group, says 25% of rural roads in the state are in poor condition. And the traffic fatality rate on rural roads is more than four times the rate of fatalities on all other roads in the state. Mississippi is third highest in the nation for the number of traffic deaths. TRIP's policy and research director, Rocky Moretti, is one of the authors of the report. He tells MPB's Alexis Ware the state faces a significant challenge. The report found that Mississippi has significant challenges both in the condition, also at the level of safety on its rural transportation system. Uh, the report found that the rate of traffic fatalities on Mississippi's rural non-interstate roads is the fourth highest rate in the country and is more than four times higher on all other roads in the state. And the report also found that 25% of rural roads in Mississippi have pavements in poor condition. That's the fifth highest rate nationally, and 13% of bridges on rural roads in Mississippi are structurally deficient, and that's the 12th highest. So the state faces a significant challenge in improving the condition of its rural roads and bridges, but also increase improving traffic safety on its rural roadways. So what are some of these safety conditions? How is it putting Mississippians in danger? Sure. Well, rural roads are, are typically two-lane roads. Uh, they often connect rural and urban communities, and so people are traveling at, at, at higher rates of speed. And what we know from experience, though, is that oftentimes rural roads lack many safety features. They, they lack rumble strips in many cases outside the lanes, but also in the middle of the lanes. They oftentimes don't have paved shoulders. Uh, they sometimes don't have great sight lines in terms of, of when you're driving on those roads. But we know that when, when cost-effective safety improvements are made, when rumble strips are added, when shoulders are paved, when there's better lane markings, when some lanes are made wider, 
that we see a significant improvement in traffic safety, and we've seen this in other states that have been able to go and make those improvements. What would it take for a state like Mississippi to be able to make those changes? Well, really, the, the transportation agencies, both at the state and local level, are familiar with the type of safety challenges that are faced on these roads. What's missing is, is the, the funding in place to go ahead and, and make those safety improvements and also at the same time go ahead and improve the level of the condition of those roads and also to address and make repairs on some of these structurally deficient bridges in the state. Pretty much it needs increased funding. At the state and local level, uh, clearly at the state level, there's been an ongoing dialogue within the legislature of moving forward with a significant increase in funding. And then also at the federal level, both Congress and the president have expressed an interest in increased infrastructure investment and increased investment in rural America. But to do that, Congress would need to identify a long-term sustainable source of transportation funding so that they could increase that funding, which would then also increase dollars available for improving rural roads in Mississippi. Rocky Moretti is with the TRIP Research Group. Thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. 70% of county road mileage needs pavement maintenance. That's according to Derek Sorette, the executive director of the Mississippi Association of Supervisors. He says the state needs more funding to fix the state's road problems. Road conditions in our state have always been, at the you know, statewide, have, have never been just wonderful and great. Uh, rural roads have always struggled to keep up because of the lack of funding and, and trying to be funded through property taxes only. And there's many other things that property taxes have to take care of on the local level, such as public schools and public safety through sheriff departments. There's mandates that we have to spend X amount of money on both of them. And then whatever's left over is your maintenance and operational fund for roads and bridges. Um, so this report's nothing new, really. It's... Um, We've been one of the top states in the in the worst road conditions for a long time. We will continue to be, um, it looks like, because uh, we're not doing anything to change that direction. We certainly don't want a bridge to fall in on anybody. That's very important. We're making sure every day in county government are trying to make sure that that doesn't happen. Roads, certainly, you know, potholes. Um, roads that we can't maintain or don't have enough money to maintain, they become dangerous. That's a, public safety is an issue, no doubt. And a sheriff car and an ambulance not being able to get down a road um, because of a closed bridge is an issue. We're trying. We're all trying to grow our state and to increase our business and industry and amount of tax revenue we've got coming in, so we can send some of that revenue back out to our 82 counties so they can continue to grow. Um, But if we don't have that infrastructure there in our state, then it's hard to ever start. That's your foundation to building the state. So that's a concern. Experts say improved road conditions create a better opportunity for more economic development. Coming up, a warning for Mississippi seniors. A scam is on the rise. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. 
This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A scam targeting Mississippi seniors is on the rise, according to the state attorney general's office. Jim Hood's Consumer Protection Division has seen a recent increase in cases where grandparents have been the targets of wire fraud scams, commonly known as grandparent scams. This could involve a person calling a grandparent and telling them a loved one is in a desperate situation, then asking them to send money to help. Jackson senior Alton Cobb tells MPB's Desiree Frazier how someone tried to scam him. Well, yeah, we are great-grandparents. We received a call. I, frankly, was taking a little morning nap. And my wife answered the phone, but then I awakened and I picked up the phone and I heard the conversation. And one uh, person speaking on the phone was someone that was presenting himself as our son-in-law. He said he was in a distressful situation, that he had been involved in an accident the night before, and he was driving a truck that I think didn't belong to him, but the owner was in the truck with him, and had an accident over in Flowood. And uh, in order to avoid hitting a car, they ran off the street or road and ran into a fence and damaged the fence. And then he said, well, you know, there's a good guy here who's with the police department at Flowood, and he'll talk to you about it. So this other voice came on the line. You know, he didn't talk like someone from Mississippi. And uh, But he said, well, he said, you know, your son-in-law's got a problem. said, uh, he's damaged this uh, property, and the owners of that property are in Phoenix. And uh, unless we can get some money to them to compensate them for the damage to the fence, they're going to file charges against him, and it will go on his record here permanently. Then the man, 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 the son-in-law came back on. Anyway, it was kind of a conversation with those two people, okay? And the voice sounded very much like our son-in-law. And also, he had uh, addressed my wife using her nickname that our grandchildren called her. So they knew a good bit about our family. I said, well, how can I help my son-in-law? And they said, well, you need to go to a store that sells uh, gift cards, and uh, we would recommend Target, and we need $3,000. Well, I was just waking up. I was distressed by the fact that my son-in-law sounded like he was really in a difficult situation. So initially, I felt like, well, I want to hit him, and we started out to Target. But as we left, I said, Mary, I think this is something more than what we heard on the phone. I said, let's go on out to Target, but when we get there, let's ask for security, and let's tell them about this call and uh, see what they think about it. We did that, and the security uh, person at Target said, it sounds like a scam, and they said, have you talked to your uh, daughter? I said, no, I didn't want to disturb her. I thought maybe my son-in-law really had a problem. Maybe he'd been kidnapped. You know, I thought maybe it was something like that, and they were trying to get some money. Then Target people said, well, let's call the police. And two police ladies came over, and uh, as soon as we tell them what happened, they said it's a scam. This policeman gave us a telephone number. Well, he said it was his uh, call number, but that he was with the Floyd Police Department. And they looked at the number, and they said, this is a number in Canada. So then I called our daughter. She said, well, my husband is, I think, running out on the natural straits. Let me call him. And she did, and that's where he was. 
he wasn't in the Flowood Police Department, okay? How do you suppose they knew some information about you? Well, you know, my suspicion is they may have been it off of Facebook. I don't use Facebook, but my wife does. And, you know, there's kind of exchange of information and pictures and whatnot within our family on Facebook. I found it very upsetting. The first hour of it, I was so worried about our son-in-law and his safety. And then, uh, secondly, I was very worried about the fact they knew so much about our family. And I thought there might be a follow-through. And, of course, when I first came to the conclusion it was a scam, I didn't know. I thought maybe they were waiting outside the Target store. I was just worried about my safety and my wife's safety and other members of my family, okay? Anyway, I guess my concern for him was almost overweighing my caution. And that can happen, particularly as you get older, I guess. And you could see how someone might rush to want to send that money. That's right. And I think many people would fall for it, some people at least. People need to be careful, all people, in particular older people, when they get calls with a pretense that somebody in the family needs money sent. And you need to be suspicious when you get a call that has anything about it that you have a question. Is this somebody trying to get money illegitimately, or is this something real? And oftentimes, it's not real. It's a scam. Thank you for your time. Yes, ma'am. John O'Hara is president of the Better Business Bureau in Jackson. He says people need to be careful of calls asking for money. People really need to be careful. These are the same time of scams when people say you have a traffic ticket you need to pay, you miss jury duty or uh, you've won the lottery and for you to collect the prize, you need to go get this MoneyGram uh, card or you, know, you have to Western Union some money over. So these are things people need to be aware of, that these scams run, and they just kind of change how they word them. When people just allow anybody access to their Facebook or they are friends with people they're not even friends with, they don't really know, someone gives them a friend request and they just say, okay, you know, we, we tell people maybe just keep it to your true friends. We warn people during the summer t- months also, you know, when you're making your travel plans, don't post that on Facebook. Post your pictures and where you've been when you get back. Don't do that before you go because uh, you could be a victim of a scam. You could be a victim of a robbery. You could, you know, just different things that people should know. So you should keep some of that information private and release it later. So if someone calls you and tells you there's a sense of urgency about somebody else, try and contact that individual or contact somebody who may be closer to that individual than you. And, uh, you know, if someone says they're with a hospital or they're with a, a sheriff's department, look that number up yourself and make call to make sure that that's who you're dealing with. Reports of this scam have been made across the state, but Harrison and Hines counties appear to be specifically targeted. General Hood says report these scams to local law enforcement, to his Consumer Protection Division, and to the Federal Trade Commission. Coming up, progress on Mississippi's new museums. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio.
This is Mississippi Edition. Construction is nearly complete at Mississippi's two new museums. The museums are in Jackson. They'll cost more than $100 million. One is dedicated to the state's history from prehistoric times to the present. The other to civil rights. Pamela Jr. is the director of the Mississippi Civil Rights Museum. She tells MPB's Mark Rigsby about the project. It's an overwhelming project, but a wonderful, phenomenal project for the state of Mississippi. How important is it to tell the civil rights history in Mississippi? You know, this is a story that has not been told uh, as far as a museum is concerned. So this is a wonderful testament to the state of Mississippi that now they're going to tell the story so that we can come together and, and find that medium for reconciliation. I think it's wonderful. What types of stories can people see and hear and feel in this part of the museum? Well, they get the Mississippi freedom struggle, which is the beginning uh, with slavery. It's a timetable that talks about the enslaved people coming to Mississippi, how slavery was. And then we go into Reconstruction. And then, you know, even though people were free, there was still this, this, this hovering of, of not being included in, in, in what went on as far as the Constitution is concerned, and then lynching. And, and, and that right there is, is very poignant to the story in Mississippi because we know the, the, the status and, 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 and what they talk about, how many people were lynched. We're even doing what we call a monolith of lynching uh, monolith that tells a timetable of all the different men and women who were lynched in the state of Mississippi. That sounds painful. It is painful, but it's a story that needs to be able to be told because with that story being told, all the stories that are in the museum, then we come out with a healing. And that's what is important, being authentic, telling the truth about the history in ground zero in the state of Mississippi. So is the healing part, is that the most important part? For me, it is. Because now, once we heal, we go forth. We go forth and do the work for Mississippi. Can you give me an example of a story that we've never heard? The story that really gets to me a lot is the story of Vernon Daimler and his four sons who were all in the military who came home and saw the rubbish on, and, the, and the fire that had burnt down his, his parents' home. That this man on January the 10th, 1966, he held the KKK off while his family uh, got away. Vernon Daimler died in order for people to have that right to vote. And he said that if I can do one thing, that is to make sure we get people registered to vote. Where will all of the artifacts come from? And give us an example of something that some, someone might be very surprised or even moved to tears to see in the museum. Well, the, the, the artifacts came from people, our local people in the state of Mississippi who were a part of the movement. One phenomenal piece is the rifle that Byron De La Beckwith used to uh, assassinate Mecca Evers. That will be in the Civil Rights Museum. How awesome. And, you know, I, I may use, people may say she's saying awesome, but that's a phenomenal piece of history that children will be able to see. How much money did it cost to make this display for the public? And also, how important were the donors to this project? It was over $90 million to be able to build these museums. The donors, are they believed in us, and they have been able to give generously. Of course, we're always looking for finances. But just to know, that's a testament to the people that live in the state of Mississippi, that they wanted to get this story right and be able to be told to the many people who are going to come to this museum. Thank you very much for being on Mississippi Edition. We do appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
The museums are set to open to the public on December 9th as part of Mississippi's bicentennial festivities. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9, it's Fix It 101. At 10, it's Everyday Tech. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show today, find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Grammy Museum Mississippi. Offering free admission and a pass to a world of performances, lectures, and events for members. Information on planning a visit or becoming a member at GrammyMuseumMS.org.